are in a little mini three-week series. We just, if, if you've been with us for any amount of time, you know we came out of the longest series we've ever done in the history of the church called The Story. Uh, we finished it up at the end of August. We started in, uh, on March 19th. We're, we're moving into, uh, as you saw in our video announcements, a small group experience on Wednesday nights. I hope you're changing whatever your schedule needs to be to be able to join us for that. Uh, but we're also going to take that small group experience, Holy Roar, that book and workbook uh, by Chris Tomlin. We're going to do a sermon series that walks with the life group experience. And so for the three weeks kind of in between those, I thought it was going to be a good opportunity to talk a little bit about multicultural church. As David shared, we are a multicultural church. This is a book. I've read several books on being a multicultural church, but this is one of my favorites. It's by Mark DeMaz, and so held this up last week. If you're looking for a good read to learn about what we mean when we say that, and then I'm teaching out of it a little bit. He's got seven core commitments. If you're going to be a healthy multicultural church, I'm going to try to get through three of them tonight. And then we'll do four of them next week. Let me just start with the statement that I introduced you to last week. It says, I believe churches in America are in decline even while the diversity of congregations are on the rise because people who are coming to churches in search of a gospel message that promises reconciliation are finding churches preaching a cross that reconciles us to God but is simultaneously failing miserably at being reconciled to one another Simply put, we lack a credible witness. If, if we're going to talk about the administration of grace, which we referenced last week in Ephesians 3, and I'm going to read it again a little bit later, but the administration of grace isn't just supposed to be between us and God. It's supposed to be between us and, and one another. And so if the world comes in, the church, hearing a message of the gospel that reconciles, it's going to ask the question, well, why, why do Christians have such a hard time getting along with each other? We want to break that cycle here at the City Life Church. I introduced you to some pictures. I've updated one of them. We had our campus directors team meeting this week. That's the leaders of all the, our ministries. We get together about six times a year, our leadership staff, and then also our uh, volunteer leaders for various ministries. And, and we, were, we were having some discussion about which one of these we felt like was, of all the pictures I showed last week, best articulated the multicultural church experience. And this is the one that we happen on. And then I've tweaked it. I took out all the straight lines. And I just put all of these random lines on here, moving in all different kinds of crazy directions. If you were here last week, if you weren't, and you're thinking about calling this your church home, you need to listen to last week's message. Watch it on our YouTube channel. That's a, it's, a, it's a foundation. It's a part of our foundation. We're going to be talking about it more in Discover City Life. But these blue lines represent the things that align us. Our vision, our mission, our message, our values. Th those things align us. Those things we, we agree on. And, and when we have some things that we can agree on, it creates the opportunity for people that believe differently about lots of other things, it creates an opportunity for community, even in the midst of our diversity. It's not to hem us in, it's not to control us, but it creates a safe space for us to come together. Now, this picture at first glance, the words that come to mind for me are confusion and conflict. Am I the only one? Confusion and conflict. But I've been, I've been praying, and I talked about that last week. That's what multicultural church feels like many times. As I was praying this week, I felt like God gave me a, a new word to describe this picture. Dynamic. It's a good word, isn't it? Because when you see that picture and see it as dynamic, it changes. It doesn't always change the way that it feels, but it redefines what it is. Because I think what that picture really is 
It's a picture of people changing and growing and listening and learning from one another. Now, now all of a sudden, that picture doesn't look like people that aren't aligned, although it can feel that way. It doesn't look like a picture where people are coming into conflict with each other. It means that we're coming into contact with each other, and we're learning from one another. Up doesn't mean better or more, and down means less or bad, as graphs would. This isn't a picture of a graph. It's just saying that throughout life, we change. Our perspectives change. Oftentimes our perspective changes because our season of life changes. Sometimes our perspectives change because our standard of living changes. Our work changes. We talked about that last week. Multicultural doesn't just mean that we are multi-ethnic. Multicultural is attached to all of us in many different ways. One of them we didn't talk about last week. How about, how about multicultural that comes from gender? viewpoints that women have that are different than viewpoints that men have. If you don't know about that, then it's because you're not married yet. Come on. No, it's real. And, and it doesn't mean that one is good or one is bad. It means that they're different. And we have to find a way. We're not supposed to change. We talk about this in marriage counseling. You're not supposed to change the way that your wife sees things. And you're not supposed to change the way that your husband sees things. You're supposed to find a way to be in harmony in spite of your differences. This is part of what God always hoped the body of Christ was going to be. I think this is going to be a great picture for us. It's a new picture for us that we're going to be able to help people that are coming to City Life Church and say, this is what church experience is, is going to be like for you. But you need it, and I need it too. How about the next slide? Again, is talking about what those blue lines are for us. It's not just these, but these are the four central things. A common vision, a common mission, a common message, and common values. Those things we can come around and agree on. We can be aligned, perfectly aligned on those things together, making it possible for us to be in community with one another, even though we are not aligned on other things. Somebody say a credible witness. That's the name of our series. I got that. From 1 John 1, 1 through 5, the first part of verse 5, it doesn't necessarily use that phrase, but I think you're going to understand why this text is a great example of what it means to be a credible witness. This is the same John that gives us the Gospel of John, and then he also writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, just his own three epistles. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, speaking about Jesus, whom we have heard and seen. What, what he's saying is, nobody, we, we didn't read about it. Somebody didn't tell us about it. We heard with our own ears. We saw with our own eyes. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so you may fully share our joy. This is the message we heard from Jesus, and now we declare to you. What's John saying there? He opens his epistle by saying, we are a credible witness. We saw it. 
with our own eyes. We heard it with our own ears. We touched it with our own hands. I think that God wants the church to still have a credible witness today. And part of the series, as I introduced you last week, is some of the ways I believe the church has a credible witness is through the example of being multicultural, through the example of diversity. What's at stake? What's at stake is Isaiah 40, verse 9. It says, O Zion, messenger of good news. Come on. Shout from the mountaintops. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah your God is coming. We have a resp- we've been tasked with a responsibility, with the privilege of, of proclaiming the message of the gospel. We're supposed to shout it loud. And shouting it loud, I believe, doesn't just mean we're supposed to shout it loud by way of volume. It means that we're supposed to proclaim it to others who are different than we are. I think part of what Isaiah 40 verse 9 is a prophetic declaration that one day the message of salvation isn't just going to be for Israel, it's going to be for the whole world. And we carry that privilege today with us. Ephesians 3, 1 through 6, I introduced it last week, I want to read it again, it says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, that's everybody else who's not Jewish, if indeed you have heard of the administration of God's grace, which we talked about just a few moments ago, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before, the mystery of Christ, which we talked about last week. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to mankind. This idea that God wants to save everyone, not just Israelites, not just Jewish people. It has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. To be specific, here he comes, he lays it out, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. See, the Jewish people believed in a Messiah. So part of Paul's ministries was to convince them that Jesus was the Messiah. But the hardest part was then to convince them that Jesus isn't just their Messiah, he's the world's Messiah. And that by being the world's Messiah, that means that people who were not Jewish had to be embraced as being part of the family of God. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that the easiest part was for them to buy into Jesus being the Messiah? The hardest part was for them to make room for other people that were different than they were. I'm not sure we've made it as far as we should have in 2,000 years. Come on. I believe his church is supposed to be a community of faith where the world sees people reconciling relationships whose lives seem irreconcilable, a credible witness. Let me read that again. I believe his church, this church, is supposed to be a community of faith where the world sees people reconciling relationships whose lives seem irreconcilable, a credible witness. We mentioned this last week. Sameness is not a prerequisite to reconciliation. Aren't you glad for that? Because if sameness was a prerequisite to reconciliation being perfectly aligned, then none of us would be reconciled to God. None of us would be reconciled to God. If, if we're waiting for our lives to be reconciled to, to other people relationally when everything is perfectly aligned, 
Those relationships are never going to have. We're only going to have relationships with the people that are exactly like us. That's not what the Bible teaches. A credible witness. I want people to wander into City Life Church and look around the room and say, you know what? I work with that person, and I also work with that person. What the heck are they doing here together? You with me? I want people to pull up at an outreach, which we're going to get to this in a minute, at the aqueducts that's coming up at the end of October, somebody new to the church, and they see a guy pull up in a four-wheel drive truck that's got a lift on it that would even make me smile. It's got a don't tread on me license plate and doesn't have anything in their wardrobe that doesn't have camouflage on it who gets out of their truck and somebody rolls up in a car that looks like it came right out of the movie Fast and Furious with rap music playing and a Black Lives Matter t-shirt on and they get out and they hug each other because they go to church together. You want to talk about revival breaking out in the 757 when things like that begin to happen? There's all kinds of things that we believe in, that we're passionate about, that drive us. The, the, the question is, are we willing to be aligned in building his church? Are we willing to come together in relationships when our lives in so many other ways seem irreconcilable? How about this one? I believe his church is supposed to be a community of faith where the world finds themselves already present when they visit. A credible witness. How about that? I believe his church is supposed to be a community of faith where the world finds themselves already present when they visit a credible witness. They, when somebody walks in, they, they, find, they, they see someone that looks like themselves in a sea of people that don't look like themselves. How about somebody that walks in to a church like this and they see somebody in a, in a similar season of life, it appears, that they're in, in the midst of a sea of people in a season of life that's very different than their own. I think the world is hungry to find a witness of reconciled relationships. Can, can we just agree for a moment that one of the driving factors for the reason why Christianity exploded with growth in the first century was because of their diversity, not in spite of it. When you read the list in Acts 2 of all the different nations that were present, and it is a long list that were present on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, and then Peter steps out and gives this incredible sermon. 3,000 people got saved. 3,000. Who were those 3,000? The 3,000 were from that crowd. The, the very first revival in the church brought in diversity from all of those nations all of those nations. And then it says, as you continue to read in the book of Acts, in chapter 3 and 4 and 5 and 6, all of a sudden it begins to talk about how the church was added to daily. Daily. I think one of the reasons why the church was added to daily is because of what we just said right here. The people were enamored at the possibility of a community of people that could bring together individuals and families that outside of that did not belong to one another. First century. We want to see that happen again in our lifetime. This book by Damas, he has seven commitments of a multi-ethnic church. I'm going to give you these seven, and I think we're going to make it through three of them tonight. Embrace dependence, take initial steps, empower diverse leadership, 
develop cross-cultural relationships, pursue cross-cultural competence. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Promote a spirit of inclusion and mobilize for impact. The ones that are underlined are the ones that I'm going to do tonight and then the other four we're going to do next week. Embrace dependency. Oh, I like this one. We've been talking about embracing dependency for a long time now here at City Life. I'm going to read for each one of these points an excerpt from each of these chapters. It says, Once when Jesus was approached by a man asking that his son be delivered from a demon-based illness, the man said, I brought my son to your disciples, but they could not cure him. In reply, Jesus bemoans this unbelieving and perverted generation Seeing Jesus rebuke the demon and cure the boy, Jesus' disciples later came to him privately and asked, why could we not drive it out? Jesus said to them, because of how little your faith, for this kind can only go out except by prayer and fasting. Listen to what Damas says here. Likewise, the multi-ethnic church is a different kind of church. Only men and women of great faith, individuals who fully abandon themselves to the will of God, can build it by trusting God from day to day. In other words, human effort is not enough. Come on, people. Indeed, any independent attempt of men and women to build a multi-ethnic church is bound to fail. No matter how much money, expertise, or influence they have, there is no simple solution, no shortcuts or strategies for success that can otherwise accomplish what only God can do in this regard. The multi-ethnic church is a work of the Holy Spirit and of faith that cannot otherwise be attained through human means and methods alone. It's powerful, isn't it? It feels like hard work sometimes because it is hard work. And it's part of what I think Paul meant when he said we walk by faith and not by sight. Is there work to be done? Yes. Are there things that we can learn? Yes. That's why he wrote this book. But he's also saying if you do all the things that he writes in this book, but it's still not a labor of faith, it will be to no avail. Listen to these. This isn't really has nothing to do with this point, but they're, this is a, one of the most famed researchers in, in culture based from your ethnicity and nationality. These are the seven dominant c- cultural traits or cultural values for Americans. Personal control over their environment, time and its control, individualism and privacy, self-help control, competition and free enterprise, action and work orientation, and practicality and efficiency. Now, he's not saying that these are bad. That's just, that's just who we are, right? You, you have never seen how glaring these are until you go on a mission trip to another country. You with me? When you immerse yourself in or you think everybody's just like you. And then you go on, and I hope you do. I, just, I went to Niger. I went to Africa for a week in March. I hope many of you are going to start taking some trips to this partner we have there, this burgeoning partnership. You, you, will, you will never feel so conspicuous in your cultural norms until you immerse yourself in a nation where the cultural norms are completely different. It's not about right or wrong. It's just about this is who we are. Now, when you read these, then you can realize in America, one of the reasons why multicultural church is so hard. It, it goes against our ethnic cultural norms. At some point, the culture of the kingdom of heaven has to come in, has to come in and become a part of our own personal cultural norms. It's not supposed to displace our ethnicity. It's not supposed to displace our national cultural norms. But the culture of the kingdom of heaven has got to get mixed in as ingredients that are just as important. 
and learn how to live with those in harmony with each other. I'm not going to go there for the sake of time, but it's Acts 16, 6 through 10. I've been teaching this text in leadership for, for many years. This is the incredible story of Paul. They're on their second missionary trip, and he has a vision. It's called the vision from the man from Macedonia. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, you're familiar with this story. And all the places they were trying to go and preach and teach, it says that the Holy Spirit pre- present, prevented them from going to the places they had planned to go. And so one night, Paul's up late, and he has a vision from a man from Macedonia who calls to him and says, would you come and help us? So the, so the next morning, Paul shares with his cohort, with his group, this vision that he had. So Paul's talking about the vision that he had, and as you're reading in the book of Acts, what you, Luke, who's the author of the, of the book of Acts, he writes, so we decided, this is important, it went from me to we. Embrace dependence. None of us are infallible when it comes to our ability to hear from God. None of us are infallible. I'm not infallible. I've been teaching and talking about permission-giving relationships ever since I came to this church in 2007. I am a firm believer that any time you have a moment where you feel like God speaks to you to do something, especially if it's significant, especially if it's a life-altering decision, if you have a me moment like that, before you get to a yes, it should pass through a we. There, there should be people that you trust. There should be people that, that their no gives you pause. There should be people that you, you say, this is, what, this is what Paul did. Paul didn't say to the group, this is what we're doing. right? Paul went and shared it with them, and then Luke says, and we decided. right? They had an opportunity to weigh in on whether or not they felt like Paul just had some bad figs. Or did he have a vision? Do, do you have people in your life? And this is, this is why I love it here for Embrace Dependency. If everybody that you look to in permission-giving relationships look like you, think like you, act like you, vote like you, and the list goes on and on, that's not a great group of permission-giving relationships. I want people that think a little bit differently than I do. I want people that see the world a little bit differently than I do. I I want a diverse circle of people, and I also believe this is one of the gifts that local church, I I think that the majority of the people in that circle, for me, they are, and I, I would hope they are for you, should be the people in the church that you call home. And any me moment should pass through a we moment before you get to a yes decision. I've lived my whole Christian life that way. Embrace dependency. Are you willing to lean on other people that look a little bit differently than you do? People that you trust. Will will you be dependent on them? Not just tolerate them, but will you put some of the weight of your life on people? You're going to have an opportunity to build those kind of relationships here at City Life Church. Mobilize for impact. Mobilize for impact. These findings, he's talking about multicultural church, signal the coming deterioration of the homogenous unit principle as a precept for church growth in the years ahead. However, the growing movement toward multi-ethnic churches must not be fueled by a desire to grow church numerically. This is so good. Nor should we embrace the vision simply in light of changing times in neighborhoods or because it is somehow cool or politically correct. The movement... And the healthy multi-ethnic church must be built instead on the foundation of the Word of God and the desire to lead individuals to Christ. 
the diversity of the, the first century church that fueled the growth of the church, it wasn't because the disciples were bought into a church growth movement. They were bought into a gospel movement. You understand the difference between the two? We're not chasing growth. We're chasing impact. We want Jesus to be easily found in our city. With this in mind, we should recognize that the unity of diverse believers walking together as one in and through the local church provides us with the most effective means of reaching the world with the gospel in the 21st century. What's he talking about there? He's talking about having a credible witness. I love in Exodus 25, you read that the Israelites were given a prohibition that when they gathered stones to build an altar, they were not permitted to reshape the stones. Exodus 20, 25, not going to go there for the sake of time. They were forbidden, we've taught on this text many times, they were forbidden from reshaping the stone. They had to take the stone as it was if they were going to build an altar, and they had to find a way for it to make it fit with the other stones around it for that altar to function. Then you get to Matthew 16, 16 to 18, where Jesus says to Peter, and Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church. The word for Peter is individual stone. And then he says, that's Petros, but then he, he switches it. And when he says, upon this rock, I'll build my church, it, it wasn't the word for an individual stone. It was the word for an outcropping of rocks. Now, these were Jewish men that were steeped in Jewish studies. I think they understand what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about the church isn't going to be a building. It's going to be an altar. And as we gather together the rocks of people and we begin to put them together to build the church that Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I think that they remembered back to this prohibition in Exodus. I think Jesus was helping them to understand the church is going to be a diverse place and you're going to want to change people. You're going to want to make them just like you to fit in, but don't do that because the church is supposed to be an altar. Altar is a place of sacrifice and that kind of witness to the world, it's going to change things. Will you allow your life to be joined together with other people that are shaped differently than you are? And as you're joined into the altar of the local church, will you make room for other people as they come in to be joined to you? That's the church that Jesus said he was going to build in Matthew 16. Mobilize for impact. You know, we experimented over the summer by not doing a weekend worship service on the fifth Saturday, the next fifth Saturday turns out to be the end of October. It's October 29th. And we have done for the last few years a trunk or treat for this neighborhood through our property. But we met as a leadership team recently and this, this October 29th is the next fifth Saturday. And as you know, we've adopted the aqueducts as a community that we're going to have a long-term presence in. You're going to be hearing more about that in the months to come, how we're going to be partnering in practical ways with the Boys and Girls Club that's there. But we realized that we could do another trunk or treat in this neighborhood, but does this neighborhood really need another trunk or treat? Or does the aqueducts need us to come there and do a trunk or treat? Or does the aqueducts need us to come there and do the inflatables for the kids? It was, it was about a 30-second conversation. Right? We want Jesus to be easy to find in our city. We're talking about getting out of the four walls of our church. I'm not sure it counts if getting out of the four walls of our church just means that we stepped outside into the parking lot. we, we got to step off of 311 Selden Road. So on the 29th of October, it's another facility. We're not going to gather here. If you show up here, you're going to be here by yourself. You're going to think the rapture happened. You got left behind. I don't know. But we're going to be down the street in a neighborhood loving on some kids. Loving on some kids. Doing a train. That's not a weekend for you to take off. It's a weekend for you to show up. It's a weekend for you to show up. 
It's a weekend for you. To, we're going to mobilize for impact. You, 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 are you following me? You, you can look around this room in online church. Think about all the people that are watching online. We, we, are, we, we are that picture. All lines moving all over the place. We are, we are coming together. We're mobilizing for impact. We're, we want our lives to be joined together to build the altar of the local church that proclaims the message of the gospel that doesn't just reconcile us to God but reconciles us to one another. I hope that you're going to go on this journey with me. Embrace dependency, mobilize for impact, take initial steps. Take initial steps. This book is so good. In pursuit of the multi-ethnic church, we must keep in mind this, this truth. My, this is Isaiah 55, verse 8. My thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways, declares the Lord. Aren't we glad for that? In other words, such a church is not ours to build in the way we see fit. Rather, we are to build it according to God's blueprint. It is not about us, what we like or prefer, or what we are comfortable with. It's all about God. Consequently, consequently, multi-ethnic church planters and reformers must not only look out for their own interests, but also the interests of others. That sounds a lot like Philippians 2 to me. Not only for the interests of those in the ethnic majority, but for those in the minority as well. Yes, we will have to align ourselves with God's agenda and abandon our own if we are to see every nation and tribe and people and tongue worship God together as one in and through the local church on earth as it is in heaven. Do you think maybe that's part of what Jesus was thinking about when he was teaching us the Lord's prayer? The Lord's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think he was. And this will require us to take intentional steps towards that goal, ever mindful of our dependence on God. I'm telling you, it's such a good read. Matthew 20, 28 reads this way. It's where Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to serve and to offer my life as a ransom for many. I came not to be served, but to serve and to offer my life as a ransom for many. Now, this is just anecdotal evidence for me from conversations that I have with pastors that I know in the 757 in this region. But, but what I have found over the last few, few years is that churches that are diverse have a tendency, again, this, I'm not done any statistical data research, right? This is just anecdotal observations, pastor having conversation with other pastors, is that volunteerism in diverse churches tends to be higher than volunteerism in homogenous churches, churches where everybody is the same. All the pastors that I know that are pastoring or working towards diverse churches, there, there seems to be a higher rate of volunteerism in those churches, and we find that too here at this church. And I think part of that is because people who tend to gravitate towards homogenous churches or churches where everybody is the same, it's because they're gravitating towards being comfortable. And, and if one of your driving values in life is being comfortable, you're not going to be as inclined to serve. I think that's a fair statement. People who are looking for a diverse church because they're looking for a What's the word? A dynamic space. Come on, that's a good word. A dynamic space. Comfort is not one of their core values. Growing and learning and listening. And those, those kinds of people, they're pioneers. Those kinds of people want to serve. So I'm going to challenge you to help us build this church here. 
If you're a person that's been gravitating towards comfort, I'm, I'm praying that the culture of the kingdom of God is going to come in and challenge that value a little bit. If you call this your church home, I hope that you're going to find a way to volunteer and serve here on a Saturday once a month. That's just, that's just 12 times a year. Nobody is too busy to serve 12 times a year. 12 times a year. If you are part of our online community, and you're a part of our online community, not because of an immunocompromised situation, but just because it works with the flow of your life and your routine, what I'm going to ask you to do is that you're going to come to church in person at least once a month to serve and to volunteer. If you are at home because of immunocompromise, or you're at home because you're homebound or you're limited, let's say you've got special needs kids, then there's ways that you can serve through the online community. Every weekend we have online hosts. You should volunteer once a month to be one of those people. Well, why am I challenging you to serve when I'm talking about this idea of taking initial steps? Because something begins to happen to your heart when once a month you begin to make some sacrifices for people who look differently than you do. Something begins to change in you when you begin to serve people that think differently than you do and vote differently than you do. I'm telling you, something begins to change in us when you show up once a month and as you look around the room, and because now you wear a blue shirt and you're here early setting up, and you look around this room and see a room that I'm, I'm serving people that maybe five years ago I would not have even maybe wanted to talk to. I'm just saying, something changes in our hearts. If you want to get ready, I want to get ready for heaven. I, I want to be ready when I get there. Can, can we just agree we're going to be serving one another in heaven, right? These cartoons of angels floating on clouds, that's not real, people. That's not real. Reading the book of Revelation, there's activity, it's, it's, it's stuff going on. We're going to be a part of it. You have an opportunity to get used to serving people here because we're going to be doing it there for all eternity. One of the initial steps, I hope you're going to resolve in your heart that you're going to take, I'm going to, I'm going to serve I'm going to serve. Not, not just because it's going to make me spiritually healthy. We're going to get into that when we talk about our discipleship series in 2023. But one of the reasons why you should be serving in the church that you call home, especially if it's a diverse church, is one of the initial steps that you can take to build the diversity of that church, to be a part of the diversity of that church, is to make a commitment in your heart. I'm going to serve people. I'm going to serve people. Galatians 5, 16 to 17 reads this way. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Right? There is a battle that takes place inside of us. A battle that wants conformity, a battle that wants uniformity, a battle that, that wants sameness because it makes us comfortable. I hope that the Holy Spirit is stirring in you in the way that he's been stirring in me for these last few years and say, I'm not going to be content with homogeneity anymore. I'm not going to be content with sameness. I want to be a part of a church 
and build a church that is a dynamic space because that dynamic space is a credible witness for the gospel to the world that we are in. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. You know, as, as, as we were over here worshiping, I was reminded of a conversation that I had with someone who's here tonight at the, who was also here at the tailgate, and we both grew up in the, in the Episcopal Church, and when I, when I saw him walk in, I, I just, I had this, this memory of being a little boy in the Episcopal Church in Verina and Henrico County where, where I grew up. I, I love my Episcopal roots. I, I, love, I love that church, being there. I loved the liturgy, the songs that we sang, the exercise of standing and sitting and kneeling. You need an aerobic workout? You go, work, you go to an Episcopal church, man. It's real. But I remember the, the doxology. I loved singing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, you heavenly host. Praise Him, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Anybody else grow up singing that? I grew up singing that all the time. Can I tell you, and I started laughing as we were worshiping over here, because when I was little before I could read, I was con- what I sang was, praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise him all creatures, hear me low. And I remember thinking to myself, that doesn't even make sense. But I didn't care. I'm just singing. I was convinced that everybody else was saying it too. Convinced. Singing it, belting it out. I remember when I first learned how to read in elementary school and looking at a, it was either on a program or bulletin. If you don't know what a bulletin is, then you can ask somebody old like me. We'll explain it to you after the end of the service. Or a hymnal. And I remember seeing it going, that's not what it says. It says here below. I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. Why am I sharing that with you? You can spend a lot of times in your life believing something to be true, and it's not. Can I just tell you, that's one of the great gifts of multicultural church. All of us have blind spots. We've got ideas that we are, we are convinced that we are right. We are convinced that our viewpoint is flawless. And all of a sudden, we build a friendship with someone who looks a little bit differently than we do that thinks a little bit differently than we do, that votes a little bit differently than we do. And, and it's like their life is a bulletin that we have an opportunity to read. And all of a sudden, we realize we've been singing the wrong song our whole life. D- don't be that person. Is, if you look around your circle that you're the closest with, and it's really just like looking in a mirror, your circle needs to change. Your circle needs to change. Not just for you, but for the credible witness that we're supposed to be with the gospel to the world outside these doors. Stand with me. Father, I pray for every person that's here tonight. As we go into this song and worship together in this moment, just as we started this sermon, we want to end it in the same way. Jesus, would you not touch us? We, we, in, in this worship song, we, we, we want to be like blind Bartimaeus. We want to be like the woman with the issue of blood saying, oh, I'm over here, I'm over here. Is, is there not a touch from your hand that could rest on our soul tonight for whatever healing we need, whatever change that needs to come, 
In Jesus' name, let's worship together.